Buckle up, everyone. Today's Right Way podcast interview is so chock full of refreshing information from the one and only William Morris Endeavor super agent, Margaret Riley King. Now, not only does Margaret represent literary and commercial fiction, she also reps narrative nonfiction, memoir, and some life style titles um, in all areas, food, psychology, health, faith, spirituality, well-being. Um, You might have heard of a few of her clients, such as Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambach, Sue Monk Kidd, Austin Channing Brown, Chloe Benjamin, Danny Shapiro, Jeanette Walls, uh, such superstars as LeBron James, Halle Berry, Miranda Lambert, Lizzo, Kristen Cavallari, the list literally goes on and on and on. Margaret Riley King is so incredible. So she splits her time between New York and Nashville. And when I found out she was in Nashville, I was like, oh my God, I have to find a way to chat with her. And when we were first introduced, um, she actually said how much she enjoyed Not Her Daughter. Um, After I like fainted and then picked myself up again, (laughs) we kind of started chatting a little bit and she was kind enough to come on to the show. Now, in the past, you know, we've had all sorts of industry reps on this podcast. We have not talked directly to a literary agent that is <clears throat> someone like Margaret is so high on that like superstar untouchable literary agent that everyone would like to have. Her career has been so consistent and amazing. It seems that every single client she takes on Every single book that she reps literally turns to gold. And there can be, you know, stigmas around that, stereotypes around that, or, you know, kind of this air of, I, that this person is untouchable. I will never get in with someone like Margaret Riley King. On today's podcast, I want you to take a big collective exhale because what she says, not only about this industry, but how you should approach your work and the experience of writing and getting published actually negates a lot of the self-induced pressure that I feel authors put on themselves naturally. Um, It was such, for me, specifically a breath of fresh air to be able to listen to what she says about how to approach writing, how to approach this industry. She still has so much hope and just such a positive outlook on an industry that can sometimes be a little tough to penetrate or navigate. This has been one of my favorite interviews with a woman that I aspire to be like in my career, Um, a woman who reps almost all of my literary heroes and really is so completely grounded and down to earth and such an example of the type of relationship you should seek out when you are looking to find literary representation. I hope you have as much of a positive experience listening to this as Joe and I did when we interviewed her. So sit back and enjoy the most incredible interview with the one and only Margaret Riley King. 
Hey guys, welcome to Right Way, a podcast where we give you insight to make informed decisions about your writing career. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, multi-published author and CEO and founder of Right Way. And I'm Joe Tower, writer, media producer, and Right Way's executive editor. On this podcast, Rhea and I will take an inside look at the publishing industry with honest and straightforward shop talk. So when you do get published, you'll know exactly what to do the right way. All right, Margaret. Okay, first of all, I don't know if you know this, but you're kind of a big fucking deal. <laughs> so thank you for agreeing to do our podcast. I mean, you rep seriously, like all of my personal and literary heroes. So this is just a really big deal for us, for you to take the time out. So we really appreciate it first and foremost. I'm excited. It's my pleasure. Truly. Yay. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. So for those who don't know you, can you talk a little bit about just kind of how you became an agent in the first place and specifically kind of moving into WME and your, you know, splitting time between uh, Nashville and New York, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so, uh, you know, growing up, I guess I always loved stories, uh, that took a lot of different, you know, forms, um, movies. Um, I was a theater kid. I loved theater. I loved doing musical theater all growing up. And I was Mm -hmm. actually a theater minor in college, um, and a history major and loved music and, and songwriting and, um, basically all the forms that stories took. And when I, uh, graduated from college, I'd interned in a bunch of different places in the entertainment industry, NBC, Columbia Records, um, uh, and I and I'd also interned at William Morris, and I knew I wanted to start there just because I really I loved the energy of the place. You yeah. know, there was the the theater people, and then there was the music group, and then there was the speakers and the books and the television and movies, and it was all in one place, and. Um, I realized that 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 was that was where I wanted to start it start and then I um, sort of ended up I realized that the books were the thing that's yeah. where the best mm-hmm. stories were told and I started working for a woman named Jennifer Rudolph Walsh who became a mentor and um, leader and dear dear friend pretty much family in my life and I loved the way that she did business and uh, sort of came up under her from there. Amazing. 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 Um, so obviously like uh, both our, our client base and our listeners for this podcast are all writers who are at varying stages of either developing projects or um, running, running the publishing gambit. Um, and so we talk about the, uh, about literary agents a lot and the importance in particular of picking the right agent um, as one of the most prominent literary agents, what would you say are some of the most important questions that authors should ask before they sign a contract with an agent? Yeah, a couple things. I think that it always needs to start with the material and the mm-hmm. kind of book that you're, you're, the kind of book you've written or are working mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, being very clear and thoughtful about what, what you want to do in the future, what sort of career you want to have mm-hmm. um, because you know you want to sign with an agent who loves loves yes. loves mm-hmm. your work yes and can't get enough of it yeah um, and then it's also a big for me it's you know obviously it's a professional relationship but it's also a really meaningful and creative one and personal in many ways too 
Um, and you got to like the person and you got to, <laughs> <Yeah. her. laughs> yep. and you got to be one, not be scared to call them and have a conversation and communicate openly and honestly, and, and, um, don't settle for anything less. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That, that's yeah, great advice I, right there. Absolutely. I say that all the time. Like you are entering into such an intimate relationship. And if you don't vibe with that person, then it's probably not <laughs> going to be the best bet. Um, cool. And they won't be able to do their job in the way that, exactly. that you deserve, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like I, you know, I lived in for 10 years in LA and I know like the, that, that representation, that client representation relationship, people get so very skittish about it. Mm -hmm. And I would always say like, I think that's a red flag. If you feel like you can't call your agent or you shouldn't call your agent or you don't know what's going on. Like, um, I, I yeah, I feel like there's such an intimacy to it. That's that vibe is so important. Yeah. You should be able to be vulnerable with your agent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Completely. And you know, today specifically, like with all the different ways that you can publish, you can self-publish, you can hybrid publish, but I feel like still most people really want that literary agent. The, they want the traditional book deal. They want to be a, a bestseller, but you know, they go into this hearing all of the stats about, you know, how hard it is to get published, how impossible it is to get an agent. Um, what do you think are the biggest mistakes you see newer authors make when trying to get an agent? They send out, sending out the, sending out the material, the book, the manuscript before it's truly ready. Yes. Uh, uh, there's an eagerness and a pressure too. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of pressure to, to get it out there. You know, you see what your other friends are doing. It's, you know, and it's not ready. And it's, it's, it could be better. And it's, it's, um, and the material is the most important thing. And so there's like a patience and a humbleness, I think that's required um, of, for, for anyone who wants to be an author. Do you think that goes for nonfiction as well? Like if someone's pitching a book proposal to you, let's say, and they're a newer author, what are some mistakes you see just in the proposal process? Yeah. I think that, you know, you hear someone has a great idea or something they're really passionate about, but they haven't developed materi the material in a way that's that's truly unique in the book that they were born to write. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, they have the idea, they know it's good. They think it's, you know, it's maybe it's fitting into a certain moment, but they've rushed the actual development of the, of the material. God, we're, we're all in such a rush. I mean, yeah. just to be relevant, to stay out there. Yeah. To do what your friends are doing or look at what, you know, so-and-so sold a million copies of this. <laughs> and instead of waiting for that, that story or that book to find you, I really love what you said about the, like the story you're born to write. I feel like we're not that patient anymore. Because we, guess what? That person who sold a million copies probably took them 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that so resonated, like looking around to see what your friends are doing. Uh, I, yeah. I think the number of times we're pushed because of the communities that we travel in or just keeping up with the quote unquote Joneses and like, well, you know, they got theirs out there. I got to get mine out there too. Uh, and totally. people are asking me, when's your book going to come out? When are you, when are you going to do oh, your God. book? And then yeah. they yeah. feel that pressure and internalize it. And yeah. Um, it's not, it's not helping them when it comes to clients and client projects. I, this is kind of a, a, a broad question, but what, what type, how would you describe yourself as an agent? Like how, uh, in terms of your, how you work with clients and their projects? Well, I think it takes a different form with, with each person. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you'd ask anyone I work with, I'm, 
you know, I follow their lead and everyone likes has a, a different way of working, but I'm very in, in, involved yeah. and um, every step of the way, you yeah. know, the deal is just one piece of, of what I do. Um, yeah. So when you, when you, you know, when you mentioned that, like, uh, one of the biggest mistakes is, is putting, putting something out before it's ready. Uh, you're, you're, you're very involved and hands-on even with developing and editing and making sure that it's that, that manuscript is in like the tip is top is condition. Yeah. I mean, I have a, for an example, a good example is I have a novel, it's a debut novel that's, that's publishing, um, this summer. Um, and I, uh, started working with her early in the early stage of the manuscript. And we, I've probably read that and we get, give 10 rounds maybe of, of edits, wow. And, um, Jesus. which is, a, you know, which is enormous, but I knew it was there and it was just tweaking and getting it right. And I also knew I loved it because every time I'd pick it up again, I was still enthralled. Mm. Um, and we got it, you know, we took it, she had taken it as far as she could. And then I helped her take it as far as I could. And then we had found a great uh, editor and, and publishing house for her with Penguin Random House. And nice. the book is, you know, is getting a lot of good, good buzz and that, that sort of momentum. And, you know, she was incredibly patient. I know that there was parts where she's so, you know, so eager to get it out and next steps, but sure. you know, I just had to have her like, are you with me? Are you with me? Like, we'll get yeah. there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because you said she's a debut author. So you do rep, you know, newer authors, but you also work with uh, pretty much any famous person ever, <laughs> um, which is amazing. But what is the difference in trying to sell a project from someone who is so well-known, who has a giant author platform versus someone who's just starting out? Like, do you approach that completely differently? Is it a different process? Um, kind of walk us through that. Yeah, it does end up being in subtle ways a different a different sort of process and a different experience. Um, with debuts, you know, there's a level of sort of packaging up how we. I don't like that word, but I can't think of a better one right now. Of how we're going to talk about the book and what kind of writer this person is, and sort of the narrative around um, around the author and the mission mm -hmm. and the book. And there's also sort of an excitement because there's no track record. There's no, no one's heard, you know, no one's read this, this book before. There's like this newness that people get, can get in the, in, you know, in idea, the ideal situation, people can get excited about, like see the potential and, and um, with an established author, you know, sometimes it can be a blessing and a curse where you, you know, with the really successful ones, it's, you know, mm -hmm. you have the you have the track record, you know, the books are selling, you have the name and the reputation, but sometimes that can work against you too. Um, yeah. You know, not every book sells as well as the, as the you know, as the last book. Mm -hmm. And um, for better, for worse, you know, publishers make offers based on sales track records. So mm -hmm. for, yeah. for established authors. So, um, you know, there's benefits and there's pros and cons to both, frankly. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the publishing industry real quick. This wouldn't be uh, any kind of an interview in 2021 <laughs> if we didn't reference COVID uh, and how the industry has changed. Uh, what what have you seen, uh, you know, aside from maybe the obvious, uh, what changes have you seen in the industry in the past year due to COVID? And maybe where do you think we're headed in the next few years? Yeah. 
Well, look, you know, if anything, I think the pandemic has showed us that books and stories are more important than ever. Totally. They, you know, they make us feel alone. They connect us with each other. They connect us with our shared humanity, right? That you learn about something that, that, you know, you is outside of your realm of your everyday that can change the way you think about the world and, and act in the world. And, you know, they have, and I think this has shown that they're still, books are still, they haven't always will be a cultural touchstone. And when everything else fallen away in the past year, books are still here and they matter. Um, You know, the way we consume them may change over time and has changed slowly. And, but the power of literature and storytelling will never, ever go away. And, um, you know, we'll see what, I'm an eternal optimist. Yeah, love it. (laughs) I'm not worried or concerned. I think it's, you know, everything ends up, um, everything will be fine. You know, I, I, go out and support your local bookseller, right? 100%. Yes, 100%. Oh yeah, yeah. They're struggling. Yeah. And, yep. um, and that's a big thing for books. You know, maybe next time you buy a book, maybe don't, maybe buy it from Amazon, maybe buy it from someone else. You know, it's exactly. the, yeah. there, there might be a little bit of um, consolidation in, in the way we get our books, but uh, you know, I think that we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Especially maybe in this, where, you know, we're in this kind of like gray zone in between, the start of the vaccinations and hopefully some kind of a turnaround now would be the opportunity with like independent bookstores who maybe are doing a kind of like either curbside pickup or, you know, I know there are a couple places in, in, in my, where I live that you, you can call and, and inquire about a book, order a book and they'll have stuff ready for you. So yeah, now would be the time to take, to put in that little extra effort to support those, uh, those places that are still only like half open. Yeah, you know, can you imagine yeah. if those all went away? Oh, stop. No. I can't. No. Guess what? They will. They will if we don't support them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we I talk about that with my daughter all the time. It used to be one of our favorite things is to go to Parnassus uh, Books in Nashville and just, you know, she would do her thing and stack up eight books and I, you know, have to <laughs> pare back a little bit so we don't spend, you know, a thousand bucks. But that's one thing we always spend money on in our household is books and Mm -hmm. it's so easy to press that little button on amazon and have it to your door but it is so imperative to support your local bookstores or even the libraries right now i mean i I know that's something that you can also go to pick up but it's just it's so important I, i can't imagine a world where bookstores don't exist. We will be putting that in all caps in the show uh, notes for this yeah, episode for sure. with tons of exclamation points. <laughs> yeah, that could uh, be that could be everyone's homework. Oh my yeah, god! Exactly, yes, that's your assignment for this. Buy week. one book uh, yeah. from your local bookstore for sure. Yeah. Um, so this is a loaded question, and we talk a lot about it on this podcast. But we're gonna dive into like the author platform, the dreaded and coveted author platform. <laughs> yeah, I love to hear in your terms, like just the definition of an author platform and tell us the difference in importance from your perspective, um, being a nonfiction author versus a novelist and the importance of that, of that author platform. Mm -hmm. So the author platform, yes, it is a loaded question. It is a loaded question. (laughs) It's tricky. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is thinking that because there's been such, you know, so much, you know, so much uh, talk about how important it is and it's, you know, crucial, mission critical to have an author platform in nonfiction. Uh, It's not so important in fiction, I would say, you know, Um, although, you know, we'll we'll get into that later, but um, 
that the author platform is so important that that the assumption that you can sell material that maybe isn't as great as or as powerful or as you know unique just because people will buy it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So I think that like it's it's important, but the most important thing is the material. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you have uh, a if you have a if you have a phenomenal book that's that only you could write. And that is, you know, incredibly, you know, important and different and well-written and all those things, the platform's going to, the platform's going to come. Well, and that's my question because, you know, I'd say about 80, 90% of our clients are nonfiction authors, definitely experts in their space, but a lot of them have spent time working and building, you know, their businesses or their brands and not necessarily uh, a platform especially in the digital space. And we can have really solid content, a really great idea. And nine times out of 10, if it's a no from an agent, it's like, oh, nope, author platform, got to build it, got to build it, got to build it. And it's so frustrating for them um, because they constantly hear, they think, they hear author platform and think, I've got to have 100,000 followers on social media. And it goes so beyond that, but we really talk about platform will be something that you will work on forever. If you have a book, it's an evergreen product that you can sell for the rest of your life. So I feel like there's this immense pressure to be, you know, just this huge, like have this huge platform. But again, I think we could take the pressure off a bit if, if you could really, you know, if we can show people how to build that platform over time. Yeah. And like social media, it's like interesting because there's all this you know, attention on social media, how many Instagram sure. followers you have. And, but then a lot of times, actually the Instagram followers don't, um, it doesn't translate to, they don't buy books. Buyers. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So a yeah. lot of times, and publishers are actually more and more saying like, you know, well, it, it doesn't always translate like what else I think it's, and, and yeah. it, could, it could go away. It's, there's a new thing every day. It's like, Oh, now I've got to be on clubhouse and now I got to be on, oh, God. now I got to be on, you so. know, all the things. And, that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of pressure and work. And it's, you know, it's also temporary. It's like the platform. I think if you think about the platform is like you're um, building your, why do, why do people, why would people come for this information? Why would people look to you? How are you building yourself as an right. expert in this and whatever the thing is? Right? right. So, I mean, we talk a lot about that. We, I, we've obviously, we talk so much about it and we say like, you know, metrics aren't the same thing as engagement. So in order to kind of retain that authenticity, do you think that there are any like, I don't know, specific methods or specific tactics that an author could take to really build or start to build that authentic author platform? Like wh what are what are ways that you would say, uh, you know, casting metrics aside, casting follower count aside, wh what are, what's one way that an author could get started uh, building an authentic and engaged platform? Yeah, which is a lot of work, by the way. Oh, yeah. so much work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of different avenues to do that. And I think the most important thing is finding something that's exciting and doesn't feel like work and that it's authentic to you. So you're, you know, it feels like it doesn't feel like work. If you're trying to build up your social media and it's like just to build up your social media and you're kind of not, it doesn't come natural to you. Sure. It's, it's, it's not going to be any good. It's not going to yeah. translate. Yeah. Uh, so speaking, you know, maybe there's a local TEDx. I'm on the board of TEDx. So shout out. But, Maybe you have, maybe there's an idea that, you know, you have an idea worth sharing that you could do, you know, you could put yourself up and craft a TED talk and, and, mm -hmm. you know, and put yourself up for that. Uh, you know, there's a, all kinds of things. Um, you know, maybe you, you um, 
write an op-ed and submit it to your local paper or your, or whatever it is. There's a lot of different things you can do to build up. That's not just social media. Yeah. Um, And that's what I would say. Yeah. And I think starting locally, I think we always look nationally and like these big, you know, I want to write for, you know, X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. Got to make a big splash. (laughs) Yeah. And, and really starting on a local level. I mean, I, I think that's kind of more manageable and, and can also kind of make more of a, a, an impact print on your platform than going after these like big shiny things, you know? Really? And I bet your local, your local publications are probably dying to have great yes. writers to c- contribute to their, you know, whatever their, the ma- their magazine, their news, whatever it is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think being a writer today, I mean, I always joke, I was born in the wrong era. Cause I'm like, Oh, I just, you know, I want to write or focus on the craft. And I feel like so many writers I talk to, especially if they're published today, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, they really seem to think it's 80% marketing and 20% writing when it should be reversed. Um, So, you know, and Joe and I talk a lot about like just kind of being offline, like getting back to, to writing and not saying don't, don't promote your book, but do you think in today's like hyper-connected world that you could be a successful author today and be mostly offline? Um, <laughs> um I mean, it's hard. It's so funny. It's like maybe you know. Yes, I think it's it. it you know, it's hard because it's like who knows what the next online thing going to be is. But, exactly. But yeah. I think that readers have gotten used to being able to connect and and yeah. hear from and sort of see their their favorite authors in a way that's mm-hmm. that can be actually pretty meaningful. Um. I think that it's okay to like take a, take breaks and yeah. there's some authors who make it work for them where they're kind of mysterious and they aren't, yeah. you know, absolutely. Um, Donna Tart, I don't, I doubt is on Instagram. Uh, no, I follow, I follow her anywhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 Completely. Well, I mean, yeah, it's so, it's so kind of frustrating. And I think Rhea and I have on multiple occasions, anytime we address this issue of marketing or promotion, we always try to tackle it from an angle of how do you stay offline? But I think you made such an interesting comment about, you know, you look at Instagram or you look at TikTok or you look at each new development in like the social media stratosphere. And it's like, it could all collapse tomorrow. It could all go away tomorrow. So it, I, I definitely, it really resonates when you say like, look at something you like to do, make sure that it, uh, that you're passionate about it. That's, it's such good advice. If you're serious about wanting to be a writer, be a writer. Yeah. Be a writer first, because you can't build a career on glue and, you know, glue and popsicles. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. Um, how do you know when you want to work with an author or how do you, or, you know, if, if you either meet an author or, or is it project first and is it different if you're, if it's fiction versus nonfiction, what, uh, what speaks to you? I have to feel something. So mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like that intangible thing that you can't really, you know, that, but anything that makes me feel something deeply and I just am mesmerized and, can't um you know it's it's that like feeling that's hard to explain but Mm -hmm. you know if you've if you you think about your favorite books and you know um and then I it's important to me that I that I have a a comfortable relationship with with the author you know I've had somewhere I loved the book and then we've had a conversation it's like oh yeah you know 
I'm just Absolutely. not sure we're the right fit for each other. Yeah. Like I, I, we're not like, I don't, we're not communicating on the same level or whatever it is. Exactly. Has, has there, what is, has there been a particular project or a particular author in your career and you don't have to name names, but like overall in your career that you've, you kind of had that feeling the most, like the, like, it was like, oh, there it is. Oh, wait, like actually my friend, like I feel incredibly close with them. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, Glenn, there's Glennon and I are incredibly close. There was just a piece that we just did for the Washington Post, which is incredibly fun that came out yesterday about, um, the agent author relationship. Um, Chloe Benjamin, who I was one of my yeah. first clients who I, mm -hmm. you know, she just gra graduated and gotten her MFA and hadn't published anything. And, um, I go out to Madison and stay at her house and we're incredibly close. Amazing. Um, and I mean, I, I have a closeness with majority of my writers. Um, wow. uh, it's important to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to, I got to circle back around for a sec on Glennon Doyle, just because she is one of my, she seems to truly be one of the most authentic, genuine humans on the planet today. Um, how did that relationship happen? Like, did she actually query you? Did you guys meet organically? Like, how did that professional relationship start? I had been a fan of hers. I read a thing, she, uh, a post she had on on Huffington Post that I read it and I'd never read a voice. Like her voice was so oh, singular. Yeah. And I just knew that there was that special sauce, that magic sort of fairy dust in her, in her voice and that she could be someone who could, you know, shift and influence culture in a positive way. And um, she, I've, I was friends, still am very close with her editor, uh, an amazing woman named Whitney Frick, who, who runs the heads up the, the dial press at Random House at, at right now. And she, um, I kept sort of, I checked in with Whitney. You know, she had another agent who was, uh, and I, Whitney, I wrote, I was like, if I write her this note, would you, you know, when the time is right, I don't, you know, I don't want to step, when the time is right, would you share it with her? And <laughs> she did. And we met in New York and, the rest is sort of history. Oh, that's so amazing. Um, can, this is, I'm going to echo or kind of uh, a parrot one of my, my previous question about your, your connection with, with client authors in your career, looking back, are there any pr projects in particular that, that were that lightning strike where you read it and you were like, this is it, this is the thing. I have to work with this person. Uh, and again, you don't have to, you don't have to name, but um, unless you want to, where, uh, is there anything that really stands out? Any project that really stands out to you that was like, you knew it instantly when you read it, that it was, that was, it was going to be a big deal. When Chloe Benjamin turned in her, like half, I guess, partial manuscript for her second book called the immortalists mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh i was gosh, yes. i was like this is the book that you were born to write and everyone, oh, no. everyone is going to read it <laughs> i'm going to make sure that everyone reads it because it's i it just it was a huge lightning strike oh that's such it. a and it was a second book which can be tricky oh so yeah tricky. totally yeah <laughs> are there um kind of mirroring joe's question but in a different um perspective from a different perspective are there any projects you passed on that you wish you would have said yes to no I don't have oh, regrets. That's oh, amazing. I love that. I love that. Totally. I, yeah, I can't live that way. I, I mean, I have, you know, it's funny. There's some that I've 
passed on. I've maybe gotten back forth with them, given them some edits. They've gone back and done it and then gotten to the point where I just, they, you know, I knew they had other interests from other agents. And if I wasn't all in, then, you know, what is it? If it's not a hell yes, it's a, it's got to yes. be very right. respectful. You, you know, I'm not the right person. And then, you know, see the agent go on and sell it for a lot of money and I'm excited for them. And we're still, you know, I still keep in touch with some of these people and, you know, um, have done favors for their books or whatever it is. They've helped me in th- ways. And yeah, so no regrets. It all, it all works out. Well, uh, can I just ask what you mean when, when you say like, uh, you know, in regards to, to, uh, to a manuscript, oh, I'm not the right person. Uh, what do you, what kinds of manuscripts do you think you, you are the right agent for? <sighs> That's an impossible question. I, it's, okay. it's, it's an instinct yeah. thing. Yeah. It. An instinct yep. thing. I, you know, I loved, I've, I have to love it, you know, down in my bones and just, yeah. know, I just know. Yeah. I love, I love that. I mean, I don't think we talk a lot about that, like intuition and using your, well, your instincts. Yeah, we do. We, we're we, humans. We've got great instincts. Exactly. Yeah. Think about it. It's like, you know, when you've read a good story, yes. you don't have to, yeah. you don't have to have a PhD in storytelling to know what's good, exactly. you know, what, reson- what resonates with you. 100%. Well, we we do say that with clients sometimes. They're like, they're, you know, yep. the behind a developmental edit, like we're like, yes, obviously there's so much objectivity to this, but then there's this this portion of editing where it's like, I don't know why I know that this needs to be this way, but it totally does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Then you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know, it's like there's something missing, a spark yeah. or something. Yeah. So for all of our aspiring writers out there who are, uh, who better be listening to this episode. Um, what do you think is the, the is there a, like maybe a single most important piece of advice uh, that you could, you might give for landing an agent in a book deal? Uh, I would, so oftentimes people think of finding an agent as the first step in the process. Mm-hmm. And I think that finding an, finding an, and signing with an agent can actually be sort of like, it's actually way, it's, towards the end of the, of I agree with you and, you know, be humble, be patient, keep working, keep writing, keep editing, you know, keep, if you need to put something away, that's okay. I have an author who, who wrote, who spent years on a manuscript and realized it wasn't the thing or it didn't know, it didn't know how to, where to take it, put it in a drawer. She's taking it back out and had like a spark and, you know, I'm looking forward to, to making a big deal for it. So, you know, it's okay to put things away and um, read, read authors who you respect and whose voice you think have similarities to mm-hmm. read all the books and, and, um, and, you know, be patient. And, and also you're blessed, you're, you're blessed to be working with you guys too. It's to have oh, you know, support, have a support network and have feedback. I think it's hard to do in a, a vacuum. Uh, completely. And what you just said about patience. I mean, I hear jokes from our clients all the time. Like I'm not patient. I want this out, which is sometimes why they actually move towards self-publishing or hybrid because they're not willing to wait that, you know, potentially one to two years. But even if, you know, I have a lot of, I'm a fiction writer and have a lot of, you know, people in our, um, published community who feel like we are not relevant unless we are cranking out a book a year. And there's all this pressure to produce, 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 where we don't really get that time to make sure that we are following our instincts, that we are writing the stories we're born to write. And do you have any advice on that and how to, when there's pressure to 
put out that next book, but also <laughs> take your time to make sure that you're writing the story you were really meant to write. Ignore the pressure. That's an old way of thinking. Yeah. I think. Forget it. Forget yeah. about it. Just focus on the book. I mean, I, we'll, we'll talk offline because I have some, <laughs> I want to, I want to hear what you're up to. And I think I have, oh my God. Yes. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, every deal informs the next. Yes. So if you write 10 books, don't rush to get that book out that you know is it could be is could be better. Yes. Mm. I mean, these are some old school lessons and uh, difficult to do, but imperative for sure. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe it. Um, do you think it's harder to land the agent or land the book deal? Um, depends. I mean, I probably land the book deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of times, so you can land an agent and not, you know, and it doesn't sell for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. Did, have you ever, I mean, do you have that happen to you a lot or no? I mean, everyone has it. Everyone has it happen. It's like, you know, I always tell the younger agents here, no one's watching you like play around. No one cares yes. if you something. Yeah. No one cares. But yeah, you got to like, you got to, you can't, you can get paralyzed by, you know, wearing what if, if, if you like it, go for it. And, and you know, you do everything you possibly can to get that person a deal and a great deal and not settle for anything less. And if you don't, then you, you know, you pause and, um, you know, think about, think about next steps. I mean, a lot of times it's, that means maybe the book needs some work or rethink about it and, and that's okay. And, you know, I have a question about, you know, we get a lot of clients, both fiction and nonfiction who want the big, they want you, they want like the big, huge agent. However, I sometimes feel like, especially if you're at capacity and you're like, nope, can't take on, you know, any more people right now. I feel like agents within, um, you know, WME, for instance, like there are other maybe newer agents. I always say like, you know, go for a newer agent, someone who's just starting out, who's looking to build their arsenal of clients um, and not always going for like the big recognizable name. What do you, what do you think about that and about that strategy? I absolutely, you know, I pass on a lot of things that I just don't have the bandwidth. I wish I did. Absolutely. Younger agents who, you know, who I've worked with for years and if some were my, you know, assistants and um, I know that they are phenomenal and they're hungry and they're, you know, they, they have the same level of excellence, right? They're just, they're just haven't been in the business as long. So there's so many, I mean, that's the thing is there's so many phenomenal agents out there and um, you know, there's some, there's something to be said about having someone who, you connect with who loves the material and is going to go, you know, is going to fight for you and be in the trenches with you and um, is hungry. And, you know, you both sort of have your careers, you know, it, the book could change both of your careers. Yeah. You know, that's a powerful thing. I think that, and I think for our listeners that that should sound very encouraging. I mean, you know, and for you to say at the top that like the the thing that you love the most is stories. And yes. I, oh. I think we should all be looking at, you know, writers and agents alike as this network of people who fucking love books, like yeah. <laughs> love stories. That's so, that's so awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have a little, uh, when we typically round out interviews, we do um, what we call the lightning round. Yes. Um, and <laughs> so this is just a series of questions. Uh, we'll alternate. And so whatever whatever comes to the top of your mind first, um, 
fire out the answer. Okay, I'm gonna try really hard not to be not embarrass myself or be in a <laughs> Oh no, these aren't embarrassing questions. <laughs> no, not at all. And yeah. and to be fair, like we say lightning round, but we've definitely done interviews where this it is has the just, longest part. It's just <laughs> okay. the, it just like turns into more of the interview. Yeah. So okay, yeah. let's roll. Okay, here we go. All right. Uh best moment as an agent. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, that's like asking you to pick a favorite. I know. It's cruel. Um being able to call someone and change their life financially, like give them Ugh. financial security, play Santa Claus in that way is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, also, whenever something hits the list and if that's mm -hmm. a goal for the writer, the, you know, the times list or whatever it is, and being able to make that call and tell them is oh pretty, fun. pretty fun. Amazing. Worst moment as an agent. <laughs> mm. Worst moment as an agent. I love my job. I, I mean... Oh, gosh, <laughs> you know, I, the disappointments can be hard when yeah. you're so invested, you know, you're, yeah. it's like there, you, it's, you can feel it. Sometimes you have to separate yourself because, you know, you can feel so invested and particularly in fiction, people have worked 10 years on this yes. book and all you want is for people to read it. And that can be hard when it, when yeah. people don't. Yeah. Managing those expectations. I feel like that's so yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, favorite thing to do when not working? Um, be by myself. Yes. <laughs> I know. Like what's your hobbies? I'm like, does alone time count? Yes, it does. <laughs> it absolutely <laughs> does. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I love to travel. I love to um, be outside. Mm -hmm. Um, I love to laugh. Yeah. Yes. Um, one thing that you wish all writers knew. Um, that uh to trust themselves yes 100 percent. what do you want your legacy to be uh i want my legacy to be um that i uh was a good person and people trusted me and my integrity is incredibly important to me and that um you know i i helped shine a light or put out stories in the world that you know in the most impactful way that were good and that, you know, uh, that were just, and maybe made the world a little bit brighter or made someone feel a little less alone. I mean, that's why I'm, that's why I get up every day. Love that. Uh, how do you balance life, uh, parenting, wellness, socializing, et cetera, and work? Uh, it's hard. I have two kids who I adore and a husband and who I also adore and friends, you know, um, it's a struggle for, for all of us. Mm -hmm. I try and I'm a pretty good delegator. I think my husband's an amazing partner and, um, I'm pretty good at saying no to, to things, yes. not always, but I've gotten better as we get older. We say no to, you know, in a really respectful way, but, um, so you got to take time for yourself. It's like mission critical to secure your own oxygen mask. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Truly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, my yeah. daughter actually says that all the time. She's like, you know, you're supposed to put on your mask first before you ever. <laughs> like, 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 every you? flight you get on, they that's why they they all you know I fly exactly. all the time with my kids, and they still come and remind me every time. And it's like that's sort of like a life thing, right? It's like we have exactly. to keep reminding ourselves that exactly. Yep. Uh, wine or beer? Wine. Yes. F fiction or nonfiction? Both. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. look, there's something about an amazing novel or, uh, or a um, memoir that reads like a novel that you just can get lost in. Truly. Mm -hmm. uh, this is going to be another tough one. Uh, best book you read in 2020? 
Um, I finally read some people have been telling me about this for a long time and it's called, um, uh, hearts and visible furies by a writer named John Boyne. Yes. And he's an Irish writer and I could not put it down. I was so invested and it was so magical. And I gave it to my husband who read it in two days and everyone, everyone I've told about it, they're like, Oh my gosh, how have I not read this book? It's pretty phenomenal. It's an amazing book. Yeah. What types of writing would you like to see more of in the world? Um, people following their own, you know, putting out the thing that only they can put out the story that only they can tell and not, you know, and trusting in that. Um, we, we need more stories. Mm-hmm. We need more me people stories, women's stories. Yes. You look at my list. It's a lot of women. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I know. I love women's. I mean, I love men's, but I love women's voices. And yes. Um, so who is one author everyone should read? Um, uh, if you haven't read Maya Angelou. Oh. <laughs> Toni Morrison. Uh, Toni Morrison, then, yes. you know, Do get on friend. that. Uh, anything else that you would want to impart to our listeners? Uh, keep writing. Yeah. And, you know, as Glennon says, the son of two, she's like, don't plan on world domination. Just do the next right thing, right? Oh. Keep yep. writing, be, you know, uh, have confidence in what you're, and what you, you know, what your voice is, what your special sauce is and what you can have to contribute. Um, yeah. I love it. And lastly, how can people find you or submit to you, or are you close to submissions <laughs> currently? Everything's online. I'm telling you, you can, yep. so, um, my, you know, publisher's marketplace is a great thing, or you can just Google and it's, you know, my email address is, that's what, you know, that's where people send queries and do I, I, you know, I go through all of them and I, I, I still request stuff and read stuff. I mean, I'm not closed for business at all. So I, you know, I just have, I'm, as I said, I have to be, you know, I'm very, um, uh, it has to be the right. The yes. Right. Marcus. This, <laughs> incredible. This is incredibly encouraging, uh, for all our listeners, I think. Well, this has been a blast and thank you for asking me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat all things publishing industry with us. Well, I'll be telling writers to come check out this podcast because oh, thank you. I love what you guys are doing and this is fun. Thank, thank you very much. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Right Way Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment and help us continue to deliver the content you want and need. And for more information about RightWay, visit rightwayco.com to get more info on all our editorial and developmental services and sign up for our weekly newsletter where we'll be sharing exclusive content, access to digital courses, and offering proprietary resources for aspiring and established writers. 